Why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to the book of Daniel. It was in 1715 that uh, King Louis XIV uh, of France died after a, a reign of 72 years. <laughs> it's a long reign, especially in those days. Um, he called himself the Great, King Louis the Great. Um, it always gets me a little suspicious when somebody calls themselves the Great. Uh, it makes you wonder. But um, he became famous and he also was known, maybe you remember studying in history, he said, I am the state. Remember that, uh, if you did your history when you were in school. But his court was the most magnificent in all of Europe um, and so was his memorial service, his funeral service was this uh, big hubbub and people came from all over and it was a big fancy deal. But as it turns out, you know, as, as his body laid in state in a golden casket they made for him, golden casket, um, one of the things they said is, they, you know, he, he wanted this before he died. He said, I want my casket to be gold and I want the lights low and I want a candle over my casket. And I want that candle just to keep burning uh, to remind everybody of my greatness and all this. And so that's what was happening. They had the big memorial service, the casket, the, the candle, everything. Well, as it turns out, um, when the uh, service started, thousands waiting in hushed silence as the priest, the bishop, uh, Bishop Massillon came to give the sort of the funeral service. As he began to sp speak, he slowly reached down and snuffed out the candle. And he said, only God is great. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, that's, I don't know if they offed his head after that. I don't know, what, but, but um, I don't know the rest of the story there. But, you know, uh, really we, we get tangled up in humanity and, and all of our greatness. And you know, we, 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 we've got the term, you know, you're the goat. Poor Simone Biles, as uh, she went to the Olympics, everybody calling her the, the goat, the goat, the goat, the greatest of all time. And she carried that weight on her shoulders and so much did it stress her out psychologically that she had to hang it up. She couldn't even, you know, compete because of that pressure and the mental, you know, thing. It was kind of a, a weird situation. Nobody knew what to make of that. You know, and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's too much pressure for any human being to be called the greatest of all time. I think that's, that's probably um, uh, only a detriment to a person. But when it comes to God, we know he's the greatest of all things. That's why we worship him. He's only worthy to be praised. But in the Bible, we do have some great Bible characters. Jesus, of course, is the greatest, but he's also God. So that goes without saying. But what about Bible characters? Of all the Bible characters, um, there are some greats. Um, and you know, you can talk about David or Abraham, Moses. You know, um, th Those guys though, David, Abraham, and Moses, they go down in history as sinners. They were, they were, they were great in some ways, but they're also big sinners, just like you and me. Um, remember Moses lost his temper and called everybody morons and the Lord said, you can't go into the promised land. Like he blew it there. Uh, David committed adultery and murdered a dude and uh, you know, his, his uh, kingdom was never the same after that. Um, Abraham, you know, he kind of thought it'd be okay to sleep with his wife's handmaid and that didn't work out. We're still paying that price with the Arab-Israeli conflict today. Um, like there's, there's goofs that these guys made, you know. But as it turns out, there's, there's three of my favorite Bible characters that um, somehow, we know they were sinners. We know because they were people but somehow they made it through the Bible unscathed. 
without any real record of sin. And I'm talking about guys with big press, you know, like you can't, you can't include little dudes that had like two sentences given to them in the Bible. I'm talking about people that got huge chunks of the Bible, like, like Joseph of Genesis. Man, the whole last section of Genesis is about this guy named Joseph, who there's no record of sin or wrongdoing in his, in his life. Now, why is that? I think there's a reason. Uh, the Joseph is an amazing picture of Jesus Christ, the Messiah himself. And we've done studies on that. And it makes the picture easier to understand because there's no record of sin on Joseph's life. Same with Job. Job gets a whole book, a long, tedious book. And um, some people say, well, he sinned when he was questioning what was happening, you know, and talking to his friends. I don't know about that. Uh, It's okay to ask the questions, I think. But Job never cursed God. That was the whole thing. You know, Satan wanted to have Job curse God uh, because of his affliction, but that never happened. Job was an amazing guy. He goes down uh, and the Lord rewards him for that. But maybe, just maybe, one of my favorite Bible characters of all time in this, the righteous list of guys is Daniel himself. Daniel has a whole book, 12 chapters. We hear the story of his life, but there's not any record of sin in his life. And he's not really a picture of Jesus Christ. He's just a dude. And and, and what sets this guy apart? What makes Daniel truly great? He was, in fact, one of the greatest guys in the Bible. And I wanna show you that over the next 12 weeks as we go through the book of Daniel. I think you're gonna be blessed by this book. It's full of uh, all kinds of things, prophecy, stories that are awesome. Um, But I'd like to start this whole thing out tonight, not doing an introduction to the book of Daniel. We'll do that on Wednesday night. But I'd like to give an introduction to Daniel himself, the man. Uh, Let's talk about Dan the man. Are you guys ready for that? Little, little, just, let's just think about Daniel. And I'm gonna do a quick survey of some of my favorite descriptions of who this guy really is. And, uh, And hopefully we'll grow and learn from that. We'll start in chapter one, but we're gonna flip around through this book. So be ready. Uh, to flip through the chapters. Um, I'm not gonna put the scriptures on the screen. I do that sometimes, but largely I love for us to look in our Bibles and see on the page where those scriptures are so you can be familiar with the scriptures uh, as it's written in your Bible. I I think there's value to that. So the first thing that we're gonna look at, this guy Daniel, notice with me, and this might be one of his greatest attributes, Daniel was a man of purpose. He was a man of purpose. Now you say, oh, the whole purpose-driven life, right? Uh, is that what you're talking about? Well, yeah, Rick Warren wrote a book about the purpose-driven life. You don't know, you know, my biggest complaint, you know, now that it's what, 20 years? I don't know how long ago he wrote the book, but churches replaced their Bibles with the, and they did 40 days of purpose and stuff like that. I thought that was a mistake. I I, I really recommend the Bible over every other book in my personal opinion. Um, One reason I'm not a big fan of the purpose-driven life is because there's a, a page in that book that says, Bible prophecy is a waste of time. He's, Rick Warren's one of those pastors that just doesn't like to talk about Bible prophecy. He's one of those guys I talk about. You know, they rip out one fourth of the Bible and don't even talk about it. I'm sorry, I'm just telling you the way it is. Uh, Rick's done some nice things and stuff, but that's one of his huge mistakes. And he even said it in The Purpose Driven Life. But if I, if I pin down the problem that I have with The Purpose Driven Life, it's the title itself. Should you and I be driven by our purpose? Think about that for a second. What, what should we be driven by? And, and if you look at it biblically, what should drive you? And man, I could make some other arguments that I, I probably will as we go through the book of Daniel. Um, you know, the scriptures talk about how it's the love of Christ that compels us or drives us. Love is maybe better than purpose, uh, being love-driven. 
or just driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's another, we can make an argument there. But I think the purpose-driven life is, is not necessarily uh, the right exact uh, description of what we should be doing. Now, don't get me wrong. Where, where you know, it is important is purpose, as it turns out, is something you and I should have. It's something we should let be our guide. You know, purpose is great at keeping us on track. It's not the thing that should necessarily drive us. Are you guys with me on that? Do you understand? I'm not, I know some people say, well, Brett, you're just picking apart these things. I'm just telling you uh, what, what is associated with words that have been thrown around in Christianity for the last 20 years. But Daniel is the best example of a, of a believer who has a sense of purpose. And this is the best description of what purpose for the believer looks like. What was, what was the deal? Well, picture the scene. You're a 15 year old kid. You're living in Jerusalem. You've got a nice set of mom and dad parents and they're, they're God fearing, you know, uh, you know, Pentateuch believing uh, believers. And they've taught you from the youngest of ages, uh, the Torah and, and, and the, 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 the Levitical laws and, and the, the, the scriptures as they knew it then. And even your name is a Hebrew name, which we'll get into on Wednesday night, that's so cool. And, and you know, raised in Jerusalem, suddenly in 607 BC, suddenly the, the Babylonians come and they attack Jerusalem. Now they don't crush Jerusalem in 607, but they take, some people kill them and then take a, a, other people and they drag them off into captivity. But then they let Jerusalem function kind of back into normalcy. And you remember, it wouldn't be until 586 BC that the Babylonians would finally crush Jerusalem and destroy it altogether. But Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would be taken in that first wave of three of the Babylonians. Now, we don't know what happened to Daniel's parents. Most scholars believe if the Babylonian technique was um, you know, up to par of what they were known for, um, they probably killed the parents and dragged Daniel and his friends off to Babylon. Now, why would they do this? This is an interesting practice, by the way, historically of the Babylonians. The Assyrians were the opposite. You hear me talk about the Assyrians. They were kind of an empire, uh, you know, 150 years before the Babylonians were really on the scene. The Assyrians were famous for their horrible cruelty. Um, you know, when they attacked somebody, they would just kill everyone. Uh, or, or they would kill everyone um, that was a man and they would rape the women and make slaves out of the children. And they would often kill the men in the town in the most horrible way, skinning people alive, using their skins to upholster their furniture. Like literally archeological digs have found these Assyrian, you know, things that had human skins over them. Uh, and it was their enemies. Uh, the Assyrians had piles of skulls outside their city gates to warn anybody you mess with the Assyrians, this is not a way to get ahead. Um, sorry, I got a light in the mood with uh, beheadings and stuff. <laughs> so they had the piles of skulls outside just so you don't mess with the Assyrians. Well, all that to say, uh, that was the way of the Assyrians. You just kill everybody or you enslave them. The Babylonians, they did it totally different. And by the way, this worked really well for the Babylonians. What they would do is they would conquer a people group, kill most of them in battle or you know, around the city, but they would hand pick the best of the best, the smartest, the best looking, the, the ones that were in shape, the young people, and they would, they would scoop them up and say, you're coming to Babylon with us. And they would even you know, chain them up and stuff like that, but they would bring them to Babylon. And then when they got to Babylon, they'd let them loose and say, uh, check this out. 
Look at, look at this great city. And Babylon was an amazing city. Uh, during the time of Daniel, Babylon was incredible. The, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was the hanging gardens in Babylon. It was a beautiful city, bigger than Washington DC is today. Uh, Babylon was big for Bible times and it was fortified and it was plush and prosperous. And you could stay in that city for 20 years under siege and live large the whole time. Like, like it's an amazing thing that Babylon was kind of the perfect place to live. You know, and so what they would do is they'd bring these captive people from other cities and nations and bring them in and the, and the kids would say, sign us up, oh Babylon. Like suddenly they're all into Babylon because it's so awesome. Jerusalem looked like Hicktown compared to Babylon. And really most of the uh, enemies of the Babylonians would assimilate and become good Babylonians until Daniel. Daniel comes uh, as a prisoner but they put him up in the highest levels because he's better than all the other people. And so they say, hey, you, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you guys are gonna come to the prince of the eunuchs. And we'll talk about what that was all about on Wednesday night. But they say, hey, check out Babylon and we're gonna feed you with the king's meat and the king's wine. Man, we're gonna dress you in the Babylonian attire and man, it's gonna be awesome. And you're gonna live large here in Babylon. That was the way they did it and they would win people over. By the way, if you didn't assimilate, Babylonians would then imprison you or kill you. So it was dangerous to sort of not get into the Babylonian vibe, if you know what I mean. It was a dangerous thing to sort of push against that. Um, they, they didn't like that. So then Daniel's there in Babylon, they, they, they bring out the king's meat and the king's wine, and this is where we start to see Daniel as a, as a man, young man at this time, 15 years old, a man of purpose, let's check it out. It says here in, in verse eight of chapter one, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel knew that he would be defiled by the king's meat and the king's drink that that's not what a good Jewish boy would be drinking and, and, and eating and what have you. And so Daniel, he says, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna be defiled by this. I'm not gonna do this. Why did he do this? Because he, he had purpose. He'd purposed already. That's the thing about purpose. It's not just a decision you make in the heat of the moment. It's something you thought about long before. One of the biggest problems today with, with we Christians is we don't think through scenarios. Um, we had a, a training, by the way, uh, with our whole staff. We have a large staff and our security team did a great, great thing and something churches probably should think about. What do you do if there's an active shooter? Um, and one of these, a really great sheriff here locally came and did this sort of class for our whole staff and kind of in our, in our security team, they've got you know all the plans and what to do and all that stuff. But one of the things the sheriff said, most people freeze when something like that happens. And you know, you, you can even see videos of active shooter situations where most people just freeze and, and they get shot or just don't do anything. But as it turns out, if you've thought about it beforehand and you've actually thought, okay, if I ever find myself in a situation where somebody starts shooting, what do I do? Um, statistically, if you've actually thought about it and thought about your game plan of what you would do in that horrible situation, then you will do better. Like the stats are alarmingly better that you'll do so much better, you know, if you've actually thought about it. 
Um, you say, Brad, that's a horrible thing to talk about. Well, that's kind of the days we're living. But as it turns out, I think that's true in your Christian walk as well. You, you've got to think about what happens if that girl that I work next to in the office um, wants to go out and get drinks after work. Well, I'm going to say, you know what? Uh, I'm not really into that. I'm married, happily married to a wonderful wife and, and I, would, I really don't do that. That's just not something I'd ever do. No. Or would you go, well, you know, um, I don't want to be perceived as not nice and people drink, they go out and have lunch and stuff. So maybe if you hadn't thought about it, man, uh, he who, what is it? You know, he who fails to plan, plans to fail. Daniel was a guy who had already purposed in his heart long before he's got the king's meat and the king's wine in front of him. He's like, I've already purposed in my heart. I'm not going to defile myself with that stuff. So it wasn't a, you know, just say no, as Nancy Reagan back in the 80s said, you know, just say no to drugs. That didn't work because you might say no today, but tomorrow you might say yes. just, Just saying no doesn't work. You have to actually say, just say never. And think about it long before any of those temptations happen. You know, it's interesting because um, this is what the Bible teaches you and me to be people of purpose that is purposing. We're not gonna do certain things. There's lines we will not cross. And what happens if I get tempted by the evil one? Do I have scripture, ammo, ready to go? See, because every time Jesus was tempted by Satan, he had scripture that he just spoke out. That was his ammo. He spoke the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And he knew what to say when that temptation came. What an important, important thing that is for people to understand. Now, um, it's interesting because um, Daniel could have drank the wine. He could have eaten the meat, but he knew that that wouldn't be the best thing for him. Uh, Why is that? Well, you know, I wonder if Daniel knew what Solomon had written, you know, years and years earlier, quoting his mother, when in Proverbs 31, uh, Solomon wrote this, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, for kings not to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink to him that is ready to perish and wine unto those that be of heavy heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Daniel got to saying, I'm not gonna defile myself with the king's wine because I wanna be a prince. I wanna be a leader. I don't wanna let my mind be fogged you know, with the king's wine. You say, well, Brett, are you suggesting that we can't drink wine? I'm not suggesting that. Um, but if you wanna be a prince and you don't wanna forget the law, then you probably shouldn't do that. Well, Brett, I believe we can, we can uh, drink wine if we want to. Oh, you're totally right. First Corinthians chapter six says, all things are lawful unto me, but not everything's expedient or profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know what's so great? Uh, like I, I can boast on this one. There's other sins I might not wanna boast so heavily about, uh, but this one I boast. I've never tasted alcohol in my life. I'll tell you why. Because uh, long ago, I just said never. I'm just not gonna do it. It's not because I'm legalistic and I don't think people can have wine with their dinner. I'm not, it's not that at all. I just said never a long time ago um, because my dad would always tell us this story at the table, a true story when he was in, um, uh, right out of high school, a bunch of his best buddies uh, called him up and said, hey, let's go out Brea Canyon Road in Southern California. And, and they, they had hot rods back in those days in the uh, you know, early 60s. And they were you know, in the car clubs and all that stuff. Let's go out and you know, they were gonna go out. My dad chose not to go out that night with all of his friends. They all went on this, they all packed into one of their hot rods and they were drinking. And um, that, down Brea Canyon Road, they got in a crash and they all died. All of his friends in one night. Um, 
And my dad at that point saw that, man, I don't want any part of that. And, and before he was even a Christian, he was like, alcohol is not something I really wanna be a part of. It just, he just had no taste for it. Um, but I remember him telling us those stories when I was a little kid. And, and long before I was even you know, old enough to even think about drinking, I remember thinking, you know, that's something I'm just not gonna do. And then at the ripe old age of 12, I decided to be a pastor. I really wanted to be a pastor when I turned 12. And, um, and I remember reading in 1 Timothy chapter three, it says that for the bishop, the episkopos, which is the leader of a church, elder, pastor, bishop, kind of an interchangeable word, um, is not to be given to wine. It says that. Now, I've got my pastor friends, now Brett, you know, don't be legalistic about that. Uh, we can drink wine. It's just not to be given to much wine or not to be drunk with wine. And I'm like, yeah, you can, you can push the limits as far as you can and still do all that. That's great. All things are lawful. But for me, I learned long ago, I'm just not gonna do that. And you know what's even more legalistic about us? Athey Creek staff and leadership, we've all decided, hey, we're gonna be teetotalers. And it's not because we think if you have alcohol, you're a sinner. We don't believe that. There's no legalism on this. It's more of a get to. We get to be pastors and elders in this church to say, we see so many people struggling with alcohol and alcoholism that we wanna be on the side of just safe and just try to set an example for those that are struggling. And we're gonna be on that side of it. That's the decision we've made. And we did that long when Athey Creek first started. Now there's churches that think we're, Athey Creek's a bunch of legalists. Uh, you know, you can go to churches today where they're getting a little tipsy after their home groups. Uh, they pull out the cores and the coolers. That's wrong, that's sinful. To be drunk with wine biblically is off. But Daniel, you know, he could have drank the wine if he wanted. All things are lawful, not everything's profitable. Daniel was a guy who said, you know what? I am not gonna do that. And he had a reason that was already established in his heart. That's what it means to be a person of purpose. So that scripture there, you know, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful for him, not every, everything's expedient. I think Daniel knew the value in saying, I'm gonna abstain from that. And he already had purposed for that in his heart. If you fail to purpose in your heart to not defile yourself with this world, the world is gonna push on you all the time. I hope you understand that. You know, that's one of the things I think we're gonna love about going through the book of Daniel. Daniel was a 2021 kind of guy. The same pressures that he had back in Babylon to become more Babylonian is the exact same pressures you have today to be less biblical, to be more like the world. The world is trying to stuff you and me as Christians into its conformity. The world is trying to say, hey, uh, don't be so weird. Hey, you guys don't need to meet as churches. You got online uh, and there's a horrible, deadly disease. And so everybody's gonna die if you meet. And the world, the world said, okay, but here's the thing. Once the Bible kind of says, well, you're not supposed to forsake the assembling of yourselves. You know, we, we, we might, you know, stop for a little while just to see, okay, what's this disease everybody's saying? But, you know, when Athey Creek saw it, well, the numbers aren't really what they said. And guess what? Uh, we're not gonna forsake what the Bible tells us to do. See, that's, that's something that we had already purposed in our heart long before the coronavirus ever came. Um, I hope you understand that there's things that the world is trying to do to Christians today to say, man, you gotta be like us. And we're saying, well, the Bible, we live different. We think different. And if you don't fit in with their narrative, they will call you names and they'll get all mad at you and they get, you know, they push back pretty hard. I'm convinced Christians, listen, this is important. Daniel's the book we need to go through right now because I'm a little worried, just to be honest, 
A lot of us as Christians, we've become weak in the knees and we just sort of follow what the world's telling us to do. Well, I guess they know what they're talking about. I guess they know what they're doing. And well, they know science, science, everything's you know, science now, even though it's kind of not science. Now the Bible says in the last days, they'll do things that they call science, but it's science falsely so-called. We're seeing those things happening uh, daily. But I love where Daniel says, I'm not gonna let myself get into this stuff. Um, I love Romans, by the way, you can jot this one down as well. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Um, Paul the apostle kind of talks about this idea of the, the having that kind of purpose. Um, and, and I hope you understand, this is the way to do it. He says in Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. See, the purpose in your heart is to purpose saying, I'm gonna purposefully not allow myself to be in a situation where I'm going to be tempted to fail. Um, and I'm thinking about it ahead of time. I'm not just gonna, well, as things come, we'll just take it as it comes. Don't do that. You'll get taken in a moment of weakness. You'll get tempted when you're not even thinking about it as a temptation. But if you purpose in your heart and you make not provision to fulfill the lust of the flesh, you'll be like Daniel. And in the midst of even possible death, he said, guess what? I'm not gonna eat the king's meat, nor am I gonna drink the wine. He had already purposed in his heart. I love that. You know, for me, the alcohol thing's never been a temptation because um, when I was a kid, I already decided I'm not gonna do it. It was already a decision made so clearly. And, and it's not, like I said, it's not a legalistic thing, but it's been so freeing to me. I don't have to sit around and wonder, no, have I had too much to drink? Should I drive? I'm so free, I, I don't have to worry about that. Um, you say, well, Brett, well, good for you. Oh, I've got my things. You know, if I'm walking through Safeway, I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm going to purpose in my heart not to eat Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. <laughs> but then I walk down that ice cream aisle and I say, you know what? I'm gonna walk down the aisle just to prove my self-control. And as I walk down the aisle, I think, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna actually take it out of the ice cream freezer, put it in my cart and bring it home to Debbie because I know Debbie likes the Ben and Jerry's. And, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll bring it to, it's all for Debbie. I love my wife and so I'm gonna do that. But I'm gonna prove that I've got conquering my, as I dabble with the Ben and Jerry's and then on my way home, you know, I wonder if it's still frozen. I better check as I'm driving home. And, and pretty soon, you know, I get home and Debbie's like, why do you have ice cream coming out your nostrils, Brett? Uh, now that's never happened, but uh, it could, it could. But you know, it's, it's, there's things you gotta do to just say, you know what, I'm just not gonna, I'm just not gonna do that stuff. So we all have our things. I hope you understand that. I'm not trying to portray Athey Creek or me as any better than anybody else. But I do love that the alcohol thing's never been a, a temptation for me because a long time ago, I just said never for me. Uh, I'm just not gonna do that. I'm so free. I'm the freest person I know on that, by the way. Uh, I wish you, uh, you could understand that, you know, um, sometimes what we think is, you know, legalism oftentimes is the most freeing thing. Daniel was free when he went to Babylon because he knew what he was gonna do. And he said, you know what? I'm just not gonna defile myself with the king's meat. Daniel, man of purpose, that's number one. Number two, Daniel was a man of prosperity. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a false teaching in the 80s and kind of, you know, the name it, claim it, blab it and grab it, prosperity preachers, totally not into that. You know, um, sometimes the Lord doesn't allow you to be prosperous. Just ask Jesus. You know what I mean? Like Jesus, you know, in a lot of ways, practically you say, man, he had no place to lay his head. Everything he had was borrowed. Like uh, he wasn't Mr. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. 
as the prosperity teachers. Um, a lot of the Christians over the ages have suffered horribly. But I do wanna show you that Daniel was prosperous. And, and I wanna show you that because this is against all odds. He's a Jew who wants to remain a Jew and not get sucked into Babylon. And he's gonna be in Babylon as a, as a Jew. Um, but the Lord says, guess what? I'm gonna bless his socks off. And I have seen this where the Lord honors the person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Jesus said this on the Mount of Beatitudes. He said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Daniel's gonna live a very filled, blessed, prosperous life. And you know what's even more cool about Daniel? Is the world, the secularists, all the worldly people around him, they look at him and go, what is the deal with this guy? Like his prosperity was a testimony of God's glory. And Daniel was this shining example of what a godly person, how the Lord would prosper them. Check it out, Daniel chapter one, verse 20. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's marveling after looking at Daniel, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah, the, you know, Shadrach, Mishael, and Abednego. Um, Nebi's like, check these guys out. He says in verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. Um, and Daniel continued even into the first year of King Cyrus. So through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was just like, wow, Daniel, he's 10 times better than the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. Who are these astrologers and what have you? Babylon was known to be the academic center of the world at that time. The Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the magicians, these are all the wise men of Babylon. And we're gonna find these guys to be very jealous of Daniel because Daniel's 10 times better than they are and everybody knows it. But isn't it something that the Lord prospers Daniel? He gives him favor with God. He gives him favor with man. And one of the things I've noticed, and, and you can take this and use it how you will, but I've noticed the, the Christians that kind of mouse behind walls and saying, I don't wanna make waves. I don't wanna, I don't wanna be too offensive in my faith and I don't wanna make you know, problems or anything. Um, they end up offending everybody. But the person that's kind of bold and just says, you know what, I'm gonna be bold. I'm gonna be set aside. I'm gonna follow the Lord and I'm gonna do this the way the Lord wants me to do. I've watched the Lord prosper people that do that. People that just say, I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna, you know, the, the, the Proverbs talks about the, the wicked person flees when no one's pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Daniel is bold as a lion. He's bold and saying, you know what? I'm not gonna eat the king's meat. I'm not gonna eat, drink the king's wine and I'm gonna eat what God wants me to eat. And so they start doing that. And then Nebuchadnezzar says, wow, look at this guy. Um, he found favor with God, favor with man because he was faithful. Um, sometimes the world almost, they'd almost rather see an on fire Christian than a lukewarm Christian. Um, the world has a field day with a lukewarm Christian. Um, they, can, they can find fault easily. But the person who's like a Daniel, a, a man or a woman of purpose, oftentimes the Lord will say, guess what? I'm gonna make that person prosperous because of their boldness. We see that in Daniel. We learn that about Daniel in Daniel chapter one. He was a man of prosperity, not only Daniel 1.20, but also Daniel chapter uh, six, verse 28, um, in the next kingdom, after Nebi's gone, long gone, and the Medes and the Persians roll in, in Daniel 6.28, he gets the same. It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar having favor with Daniel, but in chapter uh, six, verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, 
and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So the Medes and the Persians also looked at Daniel and said, wow, this dude is squared away. So Daniel was a man of, first of all, uh, purpose, second of all, prosperity. Thirdly, I wanna show you something that some of you that are good at the first two, sometimes you're not so good at the third one. This is where Daniel's a, 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 a well-blended individual. He was a man of praise, a man of praise. One of the things I've noticed that bold people and people that are doing stuff and on fire, praise, who's got time for that? Giving honor and glory to God. One of the big mistakes that a person who's prosperous and a person of purpose, one of their mistakes is they forget where all glory and honor really comes from. And they become very prideful and, and arrogant. That's what happens, I think, sometimes to pastors in churches where there's this sort of the, the whole arrogance and, and sort of a kingdom mentality. Like, like uh, it gets ugly. It really gets ugly. We have to remember who gets all the credit. And we have to remember uh, that God alone is the one who puts us and raises men up and puts men down. How do I know that about Daniel? Well, Daniel chapter two, do you remember the story? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He suspects his magicians, Chaldeans and soothsayers are total wacko. Like he's suspicious that they don't know what they're doing. But he's got this dream, but he can't remember the dream. So he says, okay, you guys, all the wise men of Babylon, including Daniel, by the way, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all you guys need to figure out what this dream was uh, or else I'm gonna cut you up into pieces and make your houses into piles of manure. Nebuchadnezzar liked that. That was what he said all the time. I'll cut you into pieces, make your houses into piles of manure. So everybody's freaking out. Somewhere Daniel doesn't get this memo. He's just kind of chilling. And the guys are freaking out. Nobody can figure out the dream that Nebuchadnezzar can't remember. And so they're all thinking, we're all gonna die. And then finally they go, Daniel, don't you care? Like, don't you know? And Daniel's like, what? what's going on? Well, the king says, you gotta tell what the dream is. And Daniel says, okay. And he gets with his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they go and seek the Lord in prayer. Um, and, and, and then the Lord gives to Daniel the answer, tells him the dream and the interpretation. And so what does Daniel do? Oh, quick, Daniel, you got the answer. Run, go tell Nebuchadnezzar, and you alone have the answer. I alone, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar, have the answer to your dream. Is that what Daniel does? No. Let's take a look. It's Daniel chapter two, verse 19. There, after getting the answer from the Lord, the first thing Daniel does, I love this. Let this be a lesson to us. In Daniel chapter two, verse 19, then the secret was revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. You know, Daniel could have said, hey, I alone have the answer to the dream. I'm pretty squared away as a prophet, you loser, Shadrach, Meshach, Benigo. I'm the, no, he didn't do that. That's what we see people do today, try to take credit. By the way, I think there's no end to what God can do through a man or a woman as long as they don't care about who gets the credit. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope once we start, look what I am doing, I alone. Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel's a man of real character. And, oh Lord, help us all to be like this. And, and he gives glory where glory is due. He says, oh, blessed be the God of heaven for all glory and wisdom and might are his. Verse 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Let that be a reminder to you about our president. The Lord raises kings up and puts them down. That's the Lord who does that. 
Um, he giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth in him or with him. And then he says, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Daniel could have bolted to old Nebi and said, hey, I got the answer to your dream. But he takes real time. And, and like, this is such a beautiful expression of praise that Daniel offers. And we'll study this in, in depth because there's so much to this little expression of praise. Uh, we need to meditate on that. We'll do that as, on a Wednesday night. But I love that Daniel, even when it wasn't convenient, even when their lives were on the line, they said, it's more important for us to give glory to God and praise his holy name than for us to bolt and tell Nebi the answer to his dream. I hope none of you are those people, those Christians that say, you know what, we're into Bible teaching and we're into activity and action, serving the Lord and doing this and that. But you know, the idea of worship, what a waste of time. Do we have some Marthas in the building tonight? Some of you love to do, 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 and you're running around and you even look down your little busy nose at people that are into worship. Brett, you mentioned Sunday night, just worship, prayer, communion. What a waste of time. We could be out politicking. We could be out, um, you know, working, earning an extra buck. We could be out doing our hobbies and things, you know. But as it turns out, remember Jesus, what he said to Mary and Martha when Martha was busy doing the work, Mary was there worshiping at the feet of Jesus and Jesus said, she chose the better thing. Daniel was a guy who was busy serving, did some of the greatest things that ever humanity would ever do, but he still found reason and opportunity to worship and praise the God of heaven. Um, we need balance. If you have a bent more towards theology and teaching and doing, don't ever forsake Watch out for that propensity that might be in your DNA that's just not really a worshiper. Uh, you gotta fix that. Um, you wanna know how I know this so well? Some of you are like, Brett, speak for yourself. Well, I am. Uh, I'm not a worshiper. I'm just gonna tell you. It doesn't come naturally for me. Well, Brett, you're a musician. You're one of them worship leaders. Yeah, I think the Lord, he said, how do we get Brett to worship? Hmm. And he, and, he, and he gave me a guitar when I was 12 years old and I started playing the guitar and, and, and then, and then I there was nobody else leading worship so I started leading worship. But it's almost like the Lord said, Brett, this isn't the way you really work and so I'm gonna make you to be that. And, and now I, I've learned the value of worship even though it goes against my natural tendency to lift hands and sing songs of praise to the Lord. That doesn't naturally, teaching's natural. Talking about theology's natural. Worship's a little harder. Prayer is even harder. And because of that, I need to push harder on all those things. Daniel was a man of, of praise, and I love that. May we be the same. Number four on the list of things, Daniel was a man of purity. Um, go to chapter six, verse four. The enemies of Daniel, you know, Daniel's Mr. Goody Two-Shoes now, and he's interpreted dreams, and he's done all this amazing stuff. So in Daniel chapter six, they were looking for anything that could find dirt on Daniel. Get some dirt on Daniel so we can, we can ruin his career. Surely we'll find some scandalous affair or some you know, adulterous situation or surely we'll find you know, some embezzlement or something. Isn't it amazing how it's not hard to find dirt on people today? And man, if you run for the president of the United States, good luck with that. 
People are gonna dig and look in every little dark nook and cranny of your life. And if you've done one little thing, you're gonna be toast. That's what they were wanting to do with Daniel. So they, they dig and check it out. This is great. Uh, chapter six, verse four. Then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. I love this, that Daniel was a guy who was just dialed in. He, he wasn't running around, you know, sinning and he, he, was, he was blameless. Um, I love that. We need more of us Christians to stand our ground. And I know that we're saved by grace. And yes, when we make mistakes, the Lord forgives our sins. I know that. And that's what we believe here at Athey Creek. But sometimes I worry that we didn't get the memo from Paul when he said, should we continue in sin and let grace abound? God forbid. That's what Paul said. God forbid. In other words, hey, we could party down and sin because we can just say we're sorry tomorrow and we're good to go. Grace, you know, it's like grace is the doormat that you wipe your feet on as you get into church. And we act like it's all okay to sin because God's gracious. But you gotta give it to Daniel. Daniel, he was, he was saying, you know what? I'm gonna be pure. I'm not gonna do sinful stuff. I'm not gonna have a bunch of weird stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, so he was a man of real character and that he was a man of purity. I love that. May the Lord help us all with that as well. So he's a man of purity. Um, there's no mention of sin in Daniel's life. And they, when they looked for it, they couldn't find it. I love that. Um, number five on the list, Daniel was a man of prayer, a man of prayer. Daniel chapter six, verse 10, when, when they couldn't find any dirt on Daniel, they said, well, what we, what we do see him do is he's always praying. Let's get him in trouble for praying. And so they came up with this solution to make prayer illegal. No prayer in schools, no prayer for Daniel and we'll get him. So Daniel, what does he do? Well, Daniel chapter six, verse 10, it says, now when Daniel knew the writing, the law was signed, he went into his house, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before. He wasn't doing this as a show of rebellion. He did this the same thing every day before the law was signed. Um, there's certain things you do because you just do them. And no matter what the law says, there's certain times as a Christian, you don't do what the law says. They, it's illegal to pray to your God, Daniel. Daniel's like, yeah, I'm gonna do like I did before and pray. Well, Brett, it sounds to me like Daniel's being like a Muslim praying three times a day, kneeling on his knees toward Jerusalem. The Muslims kneel toward Mecca and pray. Uh, is Daniel stealing that? I'd like to just remind you that Islam didn't even start until 600 AD. The Muslims stole this from Daniel. I hope you understand that. So kneeling toward Mecca. Um, no, the Jews, when were they supposed to kneel toward Jerusalem? As it turns out, we'll see in 1 Kings, uh, they were told there, uh, chapter eight, verse 44, they were told that when you're in captivity as Jews, kneel toward Jerusalem and pray for the healing of Jerusalem. So Daniel's just doing what the Bible told him to do by kneeling three times a day, praying toward Jerusalem. But I love that he saw the, the importance of prayer. Daniel was a great man because he was a man of prayer and he saw the value even when it could cost him his life. What is the law that they would pass that you would say, oh, I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna do that even if it would cost you your life? Can you imagine that? 
By the way, remember I told you how you should be thinking about things before they actually happen if you wanna be a person of purpose? What happens if they were to do like in Canada where they've burned down 64 churches in the last year and they've arrested certain pastors now? Have you seen this in Canada? They're arresting pastors as they're driving down the road. They'll pull them over, arrest them, throw them in jail because they were talking about uh, LGBTQ issues and stuff like that. Uh, I, I do wonder if that's happening in, you know, or it's gonna happen in America uh, and, and I wonder sometimes where we're headed, but what would you do? Like, have you ever thought if you were Cassie Bernal, what would you have done? Cassie Bernal, I hope you all know that name. She's the one in the Columbine shooting years ago with those two dudes in their black trench coats and their weapons and they came in and they just started asking kids, students, do you believe in God, yes or no? And if they said yes, boom, kill them. Well, Cassie stood there and watched several of her classmates shot dead there, I think it was in the library, if I remember right. And they came to Cassie and they said to her, if you say yes to this, we'll pull the trigger. Um, do you believe in God? And Cassie boldly said, yes, I do. And they pulled the trigger and killed her. One of the modern day Christian martyrs here in America, that happened. Um, but what would you do? See, I worry that we're a little bit weaker than maybe Cassie. I, I kind of almost picture people say, well, I'm gonna say no. And then after all, say, sorry, Lord, I was at gunpoint. You gotta forgive me, uh, you know. But there, there are some people that actually have conviction enough to say, I would rather die than to say, I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Um, I wonder if you've actually thought through that because if anything ever like that did happen, God forbid, but if it did, would you be ready to answer that question? Um, I'm not trying to freak everybody out. Like, Brett, this is really depressing. But actually, I think this is the kind of thing, you know, my dad always taught me to find, um, you know, be almost like a glass half empty person, be a pessimist and try to figure out what could go wrong. Uh, that's just the way I was raised. And it's actually served me pretty well. You kind of try to think about what the problems could be before they actually even happen. As Christians, I think we need to be purposing in our heart to say, what would happen if persecution really happened to that level in America? Would I be willing to be a, a person willing to risk my life. Because Daniel, they said, if you pray, you're gonna be thrown in the lion's den. And Daniel said, well, get the lions ready because I'm gonna pray. Uh, that, was, that was what Daniel did. Daniel was a man of prayer, Daniel 6, 10. Also, Daniel chapter nine, verse three is, um, uh, is, is another place where Daniel, he gives one of the greatest prayers in maybe the whole Bible. Well, I can't wait to get to Daniel chapter nine. It's one of the most beautiful prayers but it says in Daniel 9, 3, and I set my face to the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel was a man of prayer. When he was 80 years old, he starts fasting and praying. Who does that at 80 years old? Man, I've kind of lived my life, done my ministry. Daniel, <coughs> excuse me, at 80 years old, fasting and praying, and the Lord reveals to him one of the greatest prophecies of all the Bible because he was a man of prayer. Uh, Daniel, a man of prayer. Number six, number six, Daniel was a man of power, of power. Now, you know, there were maybe more powerful dudes in the Bible. You might argue that Elijah was maybe one of the most powerful guys in the Bible. I mean, can you imagine being Elijah, calling fire from heaven? Uh, that's a pretty good thing. Um, or, or killing 450 prophets of Baal raising people up from the dead. Like, uh, you know, Elijah did some pretty big, powerful things. But I love the power that Daniel has because it's more of a um, relying on the power of God in his life. 
Um, and, and this is how it shakes out, like in Daniel chapter six, verse 22, when he's, um, Darius comes running out and, and says, Daniel, did the, did the lions eat you? Um, and Daniel gives this answer in Daniel 6, 22. It says um, there, it says, my God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me for as much as before him, innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. I'm innocent, God shut the, li the, the lion's mouth. When I was in college at Southern Oregon University, I had a goofball professor who was saying, the book of Daniel is a great book, and he, we read, it, read the book as a literature uh, class, secular, but he made the comment that the lions were probably likely not hungry. I was shocked that he was giving credit that the actual story happened. He just didn't believe the miracle that God shut the lion's mouths. And I had to comment, I had to say, you know, that's a nice theory and everything, but do you understand the Babylonians, this was an art form for them, death, how you kill people. Um, and, and lion feeding was one of their favorite ways to watch a person die. Um, and they would get these lions to levels of starvation so that when the person was thrown in, they would tear the person up. Like that's just historically known, archeologically, practically, that's what they did. But not only that, in the narrative here of Daniel, this professor at Southern Oregon um, was making the case, well, the lions must not have been hungry. Well, how do you explain that after they pulled Daniel out, they threw the people who accused Daniel in, and the Bible says before their carcasses even hit the ground, the lions ate them. Like their bodies didn't even touch the ground, the lions were so hungry. Like uh, feeding McNuggets to a, you know, like little people to, like, this is, uh, the lions had no problem tearing these other people to shreds. It was God's power that preserved Daniel. It was God's power that protected Daniel through all these kingdoms, whether it was the, the Babylonians or the Medes and the Persians. Um, God was powerful in Daniel's life. Powerful because of prayer, powerful because Daniel was a man of purpose, of purity, of praise, prosperity. Man, the Lord powerfully worked through this man. May that be true of us. We need to have people of power today, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's how we're to operate in the power of God. You know, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Daniel had power because he trusted in the Lord. Number seven, last but not least, Daniel was a man, to keep our final P's going here, Daniel was a man of prophecy. He was a man of prophecy. God, the first six chapters of Daniel are about kind of his story and the narrative and some of the cool things that happened. But chapters seven to 12 gives us some of the most radical prophecies of the Bible. Ones that people didn't understand until fairly modern times. Why is it that prophecy, we get better understanding the closer we get to the end? This is something you should understand because there's a group of people like Rick Warren who would say, prophecy, it's not, you know, it's all figurative and none of it's to be taken literally. And it's all, most of it's already happened. Like these guys that don't believe in Bible prophecy uh, of the Bible, where did that come from? Well, it came from, you know, hundred years ago, Israel didn't even exist as a nation. You know, 500 years ago during Martin Luther, you know, Israel was scattered all over the world and there was no Jews in Israel. So when they read the Bible and saw books like Daniel, which Daniel the prophet talks mostly about Jerusalem and Israel and the Jews in Israel. Like these are what his prophecies are all about, Jerusalem and Israel and the Jews. Um, so when they read the book of Daniel, like who can figure it out? By the way, even Daniel, 
it was hard for him because he's talking about Jerusalem and it's about to be crushed by the Babylonians. So when Daniel hears these prophecies, check it out. Um, Daniel chapter, turn to Daniel chapter 12. There, um, a lot of times after Daniel would receive a prophecy, he was astonished and he didn't understand what he was hearing and seeing. That's what the Bible says. But he just kept going about the king's business. That's what it's constantly said of Daniel. We'll see that as we read the story. But um, check out Daniel chapter 12. It says in verse four, it says, but thou, O Daniel, shut up. Brett, that might be a word for you, a prophetic word for you. Uh, I'm almost done. <laughs> but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. What is Daniel supposed to do? Shut up the words of his book, the book of Daniel, till the time of the end. Look at verse uh, nine. And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. The book of Daniel was not meant for people of Daniel's day. And I would even argue, even during Jesus's day, largely none of Daniel's prophecies have anything to do with that. The prophecies of Daniel have to do with the tribulation period and uh, the rapture, from the rapture to the second coming of Christ. Daniel's prophecies are gonna be amazingly intricate. He's got a couple prophecies about Jesus and his first coming. We'll see that, but most of it's about Jesus and the second coming. The reason people didn't see it is because Daniel's prophecies are so literal about Israel and Jerusalem that for centuries, people said it can't be literal because Jerusalem doesn't even exist. But today, you and I read the book of Daniel, and by the way, they, you know, scholars call Daniel the key that unlocks Bible prophecy. Some refer to Daniel as the book, the key that unlocks the book of Revelation. And I would have to say, that's a good description of what Daniel does. It unlocks the book of Revelation for us. Um, and it makes it all come together and, and you can start to really get understanding now because I think we're living in the times of the end. Daniel's coming to life as we speak. One of the only books of the Bible that says it's gonna be sealed up until the time of the end, Daniel. Does anybody remember what it says at the end of the book of Revelation? John was told to what? Do not seal the words of this book. See, after the apostle John, during the church age, he left it open and said, okay, here it goes. Here's that prophecy of the end times, the apocalypse and all that, but I'm not gonna seal up the words of this. You see, that's where Daniel is unsealed once the book of Revelation starts to be unsealed, we see how it all fits together perfectly. And we're gonna see that as we go through the Bible. I love that Daniel was a person who was into prophecy and he was one who believed that the Lord knew what he was talking about. Sad to say of all the things on this list, there's people in churches today that blow this one off altogether. Say, ah, prophecy, schmaphacy. I'm a pantheologist. I just believe it's all gonna pan out. So whatever. Is that what the Bible says we're supposed to do? No, if you read our prophecy update last night, it says over and over again, watch, look, behold, be vigilant, be sober. Jesus said that, Paul said it, Peter said it, all warned us over and over again, don't be ignorant concerning the end times. The Bible says that over and over again. Meanwhile, much of the church today is like, eh, whatever. Uh, we're more into balancing our checkbook and having a happy marriage and you know, uh, church community and all this other stuff people love talking about. Uh, there's more important things than those things that the Bible says, these are a priority. Daniel saw the priority of prophecy. So with all these things, as we wrap it up, I just got a simple challenge for us. As we go through the book of Daniel, my challenge is this, dare to be a Daniel or a Daniela. 
Dare to be a Daniel because you know what? This guy might just be one of the greatest guys that ever walked on the earth. The Bible sure paints the portrait of Daniel as a guy to emulate, a model for us to follow. Um, you know, to be a, a, a person who's so dialed in, a person of purpose, prosperity, praise, you know, uh, pr- purity, prayer, power, and prophecy. These are the things Daniel was good at. And we're gonna see this as we go through this book. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say in Jesus' name.